Howdy. Howdy. So glad to be with you here this morning. How are y'all feeling post-tests? Like the past several weeks have been crazy exams. Are you feeling better now? So good, so good. Hey, if you have a Bible, uh, jump to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 in the scripture. Um, and we love, that is where we're going to start. Uh, we are in our last portion of our sex series. This is week four, and we are going to be closing out the series this morning. I hope you are ready. It's been an amazing journey. I hope it's been helpful along the way. And we're going to look at redemption. So John chapter four, starting in verse one, would you read with me? It says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making uh, and baptizing more disciples than John, although he himself... um, did not baptize. He left Judea, departed again for Galilee. And as he passed through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied from all of his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this, that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirsty, be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir... Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Then it gets real. She said, the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one you you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but uh, you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She's dodging. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that when Messiah is coming, he's the Christ, he is coming and he will tell us all things. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left the water jar and went away to her town and said to her people, Come, see a man who told me, All that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. 
And I thank you so much that, that Jesus, when you came to earth, you didn't just stick with the clean, perfect people that had it all together. You, you stepped into the grime of life. You stepped into the lives of imperfect, broken people like, like mine. And you said, I will step into history to redeem the world because that's what the world needs. So Lord, I pray that as we open up your word and we look at what it looks like to have a redeemed sexuality, that you would open up our hearts, that we might find the gift, the freedom that comes only in you, that you can quench our thirsts like nothing else. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we get started, I want to point out just two resources as well. Um, and the first is this, the, the Version app. If you, if you have not downloaded yet, you can go to the Bible app um, that looks like that. And you can actually follow this series along through a series of devos. Um, also, you, we have um, a podcast, so you can go back and listen to all of these sermon series. Um, and hopefully, it'll be helpful for you. And you can get, find that on iTunes as well. Well, we are continuing this series in sexuality. We are looking at redemption. And, and I hope this series has offered... Um, what astronauts get when they go into outer space. There's an effect that happens when astronauts go into outer space. National Geographic recently did a uh, kind of an interview with several astronauts that experienced something that's called the overview effect. And what ends up happening is these astronauts get, get launched at 17 billion miles an hour very, very quickly. And they get launched into outer space. And as they get into that spot, they first are working on all these different things to make sure that they're you know, going to survive in outer space. But as they get out of that atmosphere, something immediately happens as soon as they peer back at the earth. And when they look back at the earth, each one of them is actually astonished at what they see. One astronaut, a woman named Nicole Scott, says this, All I know is I was stunned in a way that was completely unexpected. It was overwhelming, impressive, beyond anything I had heard my colleagues who had flown before. You just can't describe it, you know? So the planet just glows. I remember trying to describe it to my son, who was seven at the time. What was it like looking, what was it, uh, looking like to me? And I, I'm saying, okay, the simplest way I can think is just like a, a light bulb. The brightest bulb you could ever possibly imagine just painted it all the colors of the earth to be, and it turns, and it's enough to be blinded by. You turn it on, it's enough to be blinded by. Another astronaut named Chris Hadfield um, says it this way. So sometimes when you're looking back, as I did at earth, you realize, and something just clicks. And it happened to me when I was watching us, watching Pakistan rotate by. And I looked down at Pakistan, and I said, there are six million of us living in Pakistan. And then I realized that that part of the world had just become us to me. Six million of us. When it was no longer them. And I think about that moment. I think about those astronauts that experience looking back at the world. And what they see is this remarkable beauty. This remarkable life. And it literally took them getting out of the atmosphere to suddenly see the world and the earth in an entirely new perspective. Because sometimes when it's all the air that you breathe, you can't see it any differently. And you can't appreciate it any differently. 
And the, my hope, my hope in this series of looking at our sexuality is simply this, that we would remove ourselves from the atmosphere of the normal life, the normal thing that everyone is always looking at, the air that we're breathing when it comes to sexuality, and that we could take a fresh look at what it looks like to use our sexuality in a way that can honor God and help people and not be just one that takes from people. That would we, we would see our sexuality in terms of us and not in terms of me. That we would see our bodies in terms of us and how I can help the world be better and not merely in terms of me. In the series, we, we, we looked at really three movements in this. The first is this, that, that sexuality is beautiful by design. It's beautiful. It's designed by God for, for procreation, for pleasure, for connection. It's meant to, to bond a married couple together in, in beauty and holiness, to enjoy one another, to bring kids into a loving family, to develop deep connections relationally. And we read lots of scriptures that were, that were probably a little bit unnerving for some of you. Like, let her breast satisfy you always. Like, those types of scriptures where God's saying sexuality is beautiful. It is a gift given to, to help you grow and connect deeply and to enjoy one another and to bring babies into the world. But we've also looked the last two weeks about the brokenness of sexuality. That we've broken the limits. We've gone further than, than we could have ever imagined personally, but as well as culturally. And it's also broken by lust. Last week we looked at pornography and the, the effects that, that a pornographic culture can create and the fact that not only do we consume it and approve of it, but many of us are in the process of creating it by just clicking or the, the sexting that we send. We are creating this pornography culturally. We're, we've broken sexuality. And our sexuality ultimately requires redemption. It needs to be fixed. There's something deeply broken with our sexuality, and there's, there's, the truth is this, that it has to be fixed. And that's why I love this passage that we just read this morning. And it's, it's a big chunk. It's 30 verses, but I thought it was worth reading for this simple reason. Because when it comes to a broken sexual life, there's different responses that you might think people would have. One is to like, uh, push yourself away from it, like I'm going to abandon those people that do those things. But we see a very different picture of how Jesus responds to a broken sexuality. Instead of running from the problem, Jesus intentionally targets a person with a broken sexual lifestyle and literally sits down beside the well and starts a conversation. And I think this is beautiful. Redemption begins with a simple conversation with Jesus. And your sexuality, my sexuality, requires redemption. And I love what Jesus does by pointing to three specific areas that he wants to redeem. He wants to redeem our desires. He wants to redeem our past. And he wants to redeem our future. The first thing that we see, though, is that he first wants to redeem our desires. And that's what happens in this moment, in this conversation with this woman. See, Jesus has been preaching, he's been traveling, and he goes over at a moment to just rest. And he tells his disciples, hey, y'all go get us some sandwiches in town. I'm going to sit here by the well, get some water, relax for a little bit. And, And he's sitting there just relaxing when he sees this woman walking by, and he starts talking to her about thirst. And let me tell you this about your desires. Your desires, your sexual desires, are an appetite. It's an appetite. 
It's an appetite like hunger, an appetite like other appetites you have. It's simply an appetite. And when it comes to your sexual desires, there's one question I want to give you to ask yourself, and Jesus is going to address in this section, and it's this. Is what I'm doing producing what I'm really wanting? When it comes to your desires, I want you to ask the question, when it comes to your sexual desires or even your food desires, ask this question. Is what I'm doing actually producing what I'm really wanting? Because your sexuality is a desire. It's, 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 it's inborn within all of us to have a desire for sexual connection. The question is, is what we're doing actually going to produce the life that we most want? You have to look down the line. And it's really hard to do this. And I've tried over the previous sermons to expose us to say, look, sex before marriage has no correlation with producing a happy marriage. In fact, we've seen just the opposite. That men and women both who have more sexual partners before marriage don't find it to be uh, satisfying with one person in marriage. There is no correlation. But also cohabitation. Some of you, even in your uh, response to our survey, said, what, what's the big deal with, with not living together before you get married? Just kind of experiencing everything in life before you decide to commit your life to someone. Once again, studies have shown there is no correlation between cohabitation and a happy, life-giving marriage. In fact, it is just the opposite. The more people you live with, the less likely you are to have a satisfying relationship after that. There's no correlation. So I'm asking you again, what do you really want? Do you want a lifelong relationship when you are loved and cared for, and that person loves and cares for you without a lot of regrets, then I'm asking you the question, is what you are doing going to produce what you're really wanting? But we're really bad when it comes to our desires. We're really bad when it comes to our feelings. And how do I know that? McDonald's. I, it, was, it was hilarious to me. I was reading this this week. There's an ABC article um, on McDonald's Resource Live. And ABC ran this quote because McDonald's on their own website writes this. The website says, fast foods are quick, reasonably priced, readily available alternatives to home cooking. While convenient and inexpensive for a busy lifestyle, fast foods are typically high in calories, fat, saturated fat, or saturated fat, sugar, and salt. And next to that, there's an image of a burger and fries and soda. And it says this, eating a diet in high fats produces Uh, puts people at risk for becoming overweight. And they're writing this to their employees. And here's what they're saying. Let me summarize it for you. If you eat what you're serving, it will have consequences to your life. Isn't that interesting? Don't eat a lot of what we are serving a lot. In our culture, when it comes to McDonald's, just giving you an example, in December uh, December 31st, 2018, McDonald's earned $1.41 billion, which was a 102.5% increase year over year from the previous year. They increased their sales by 102%. So if I was to tell you, I was to sit down you know, in, in, front of, in front of you and say, hey, we can go to different restaurants. Let me tell you about McDonald's. It will be high in fat, high in calories, and it will not help you live a healthier lifestyle. 
or you could eat an apple. What would you say to Kevin? Forget it, I'm going to McDonald's. <laughs> Why? Because your desires of food, of appetites, don't always meet with the decisions we make as a culture. Even if you know it's not right, correcting your desires, counting your desires, giving yourself different decisions in life, they don't always correlate. And so we can go through this whole series about sexuality, it's desire, going to pornography, going to these other ways to express your sexuality, will not produce what you want. What you can do is the same thing that we all do when we look at McDonald's. Yeah, but the fries are good, baby. Come on. And that shake, I want that shake. And we can lose a life that's vibrant and life-giving by settling for something that will never give you what you want most. And Jesus knows that. And so Jesus shocks us awake, like he shocks this woman awake. He says to her, give me something to drink. And she says, And she says, sir, why are you even talking to me? And then he says this in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who was speaking to you that said, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman's just confused. She's like, what are you talking about? Living water? What are you even saying? And what he's saying is this. Everyone who drinks of this water is going to thirst again. But I want to give you something that will quench your thirst to the deepest level. Everyone can run different directions to satisfy their desires, but Jesus says, I have the solution to your desires that's going to meet you at the deepest levels. You've got to trust me on this. You've got to go with me on this. But she responds like most of us respond. Jesus, I don't think you have the tools to satisfy my desires. I don't think you actually can. And so what Jesus does is he breaks all the rules to encounter this woman. He breaks the social rules, but men didn't talk with women. He breaks the religious rules. Jews didn't talk with Samaritans. And he breaks all of those rules to come to a broken woman. He talks to her about her past. He says, you you thirst. And your sexual desires is like a thirst. It's like an appetite. And let me tell you about that. You've been trying to slake your thirst on so many things. And it's led to a broken life. And you see it in this woman that she has a broken life. By first of all, the, the time of day it is. It's six, uh, the sixth hour, which is probably about noon. Women didn't typically come to draw water at noon. They went in the morning and typically with other women. So she went at the wrong time and there is no women around her. More than likely, most commentators believe, is because of her lifestyle and her past, she had been rejected by her community. And so Jesus comes to her and says, I want to give you something that will satisfy your desires because nothing else you've chosen is meeting that need. She goes, okay, well, give me this water. I don't want to be thirsty again. Give me the water. He goes, go call your husband. And he puts his finger on her biggest pain point. She says, I'm I'm not married. He's like, you're right. You've answered truthfully at one level. The five men you were previously married to, sleeping with, shacking up with, those were not your, you're not married to them. And the guy you're doing it with now, he's not your husband either. You are answering truthfully. And he puts his finger right on her pain point and says, look, your desires for intimacy, connection, life, you haven't been able to meet, have you? Because our desires, if we just take it in ourselves We don't know what we really want, and we can't meet our deepest needs. They've got to be redeemed. 
It's what Jeremiah 17 says. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Here's the deal. You talk yourself into more bad decisions than anyone else. Amen? I have told myself more lies, and I believe the lies I tell myself more than any lies that anyone else tells me. I need a redeemed heart, redeemed desires. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you how to get there. And it starts with your past. Can you know that you are really forgiven? Can you know that your sexual past has really been forgiven? And I'll tell you this. Yes, you can. You can. Jesus steps into history, goes to this woman and says, I'm going to talk to you about how to get that desire, that need met. I've talked with so many people, even through this series, and and the, the statement that often comes back to me is this, Kevin, I've already blown it with my past. Why does it matter that I live in a pure way now? Like, I've already, I've already had sex with someone in high school or earlier this year or whatever. Like, why should I live a pure life now? I've already blown it back then. Why should I step forward now? And, and the thing I would tell you is this. It's, that's like saying, hey, Kevin, I, I did really bad on my first round of exams, so I'm just not going to study the rest of the semester. I'd be like, I don't think that's a good plan. <laughs> in fact, if you've made mistakes, all the more reason to not make the same mistakes, right? But so often we convince ourselves like the virginity was a trophy and then I dropped the trophy and so what, forget it now or, or whatever. I'm just like, like, that's not how to view it. View it in terms of deep desires. You haven't met your deep desires. And if you keep going to the same source, you're going to keep being thirsty. But I want to give you the solution that will bring you life and hope. And it starts with your past by saying, you, you made some mistakes and you've got to own up to it. See, the woman tries to change the subject. She says, she goes, I perceive you're a prophet and a And let's talk about religious things. Some people worship over there, other people over here. Aren't there lots of gods out there? That's so neat. And Jesus goes, okay. People aren't going to worship on that mountain or that mountain. But let me tell you about worship. It comes in spirit and in truth. What we need is the spirit and truth. We need a revived spirituality. Just before this Jesus talks to a guy named Nicodemus. And he says, in order to start new, you've got to be born again. You need literally a new birth. You need the Holy Spirit to come into you, to, to redeem you, to forgive all of your past, and to empower you to live a new life. Redemption begins first with the Holy Spirit, but it also begins with truth. He says, I know you want to talk about spirituality and other issues, but let me tell you, when you come to God, you've got to be truthful about your past and who you have been in order to move forward with what I have. And so what we do is first we confess. This is my past. These are the mistakes I've made. This is who I am. And this is no longer who I want to be. This is my past, and I can move forward. And Jesus says, I'm not going to let you get away from this. Let's take a hard look at your past. And are you really forgiven? Yes. When you come to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, this is where I've blown it. These are my mistakes. And what's so fascinating is the woman who runs from this moment, this conversation, and you know what she does since she runs to all of her own town people, and what does she say? This man told me everything that I did. 
He knew me from all the way back there, and he still accepted me. Could this be the Messiah? I don't know where you're at this morning, but some of you feel so broken by your past. You feel like Jesus wouldn't want you, accept you, care for you, throw his arms around you. And I'm telling you, it's a total lie. He loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. But he loves you right where you stand, right where you sit, right now, without any, anything you do. He loves you. He doesn't love the future version of you. He loves you right now. And as you look at this woman, this woman is amazed that the Messiah would come and say, I want to have a conversation with you because I love you. And I want to redeem you. And I want to set you on a new future of redemption. And Jesus wants to do that today. The last piece I want to give you is this. How do we have a redeemed future? And I want to bring someone up that has walked through her own sexual past that isn't great, but has bravely said, I think I can help other college students if I come up and share a piece of my story. So would you welcome with me to the stage Mallory Chapman. Thank you, brother. All right, Mallory. I'm pulling you this way. Come in. I'm sorry. So you're not like on the other side of the, you know, so we can have a conversation. Awesome. Okay. Can y'all hear me? Yes. Okay. I'm super loud, so you might want to turn it down. But <laughs> no, it'll be good? perfect. Okay. It'll be perfect. <laughs> Pierce right. your ears. That's awesome. Well, Mally, tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? All that stuff. Major. Oh, so we're not going to jump right into the porn. Classic college questions. Okay. Um, yeah. So I am from Arlington, Texas, which is the DF. Okay. Yay! <laughs> Your people. Mm -hmm. From the DFW area, Mm -hmm. yes. (laughs) Um, Texas! No, I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah, so um, from from, uh, Arlington, and I'm from a huge family of eight people, so six kids. I am the fifth of six. And so, yeah, big family. uh, Came to A&M in 2016, and am a junior right now, but I'm graduating early, yay, in uh, December. So I'm also in the College of Architecture. So, yeah. Well, we're talking about a redeemed sexuality, and so um, that sets you up for what you're going to talk about. Yeah. So, so yeah, so so walk me through kind of some of, as we've talked about your past and your struggles, walk us through some of that. Yeah, so um, unfortunately, like for me, I started viewing pornography when I was 10, so really young. Um, Just was left alone a lot of the time at my grandparents' house where they had like a private more computer room and so just had more access to that and would spend my days usually on like neopets and stuff like fun like little games like that y'all don't know what that is um but yeah it's really like and it just kind of as kids are curious just about random things and the internet just kind of took me down this like path and struggled with that for the next eight years of my life up until I was about 18 um which is really when that finally stopped which is awesome um but around high school that actually kind of manifested then into relationships, whether it be sexting and just um, kind of inserting myself in that way and uh, to guys, especially their lives. And um, even at one point, I was so absorbed by it and enthralled by this and really just felt that it was completely my identity because I was viewing it so much um, and was even sending things to guys as well. Um, I had a classmate I really know how to pick them because he said, you know, you could go into like even producing these things. And um, so I actually went into like 
uh, went to the internet and looked up like auditions and things like that. So I even went like that far as to looking at maybe being involved on the producing side rather than the viewing side, like we've talked about before, I know, in past sermons, um, and how it's damaging on both ends. But somehow, and God just sort of the morning that I was actually going to go and participate in something, um, I had a friend text me and just say, I had had a debate with someone in the class the day before, and they said, hey, I just want you to know, like, you have a beautiful mind, and I really like how you think, and um, I'm looking forward to more discussions in class, and that just, I wasn't even, I mean, I think I was a believer at this time. I had been a baby believer. I was probably 16, and that resonated with me, and for some reason, I, I didn't go and uh, never did get involved, which is really all, all God doing that. Um, but yeah, struggled with that up until I was about 18. Wow. Yeah. So what were some key moments that you look at? Um, you mentioned one right there, but helped you move to Christ out of this, really a lifestyle that you were kind of absorbed in, um, viewing and even going as far as I'm thinking about even helping produce some of these mm-hmm. things. What what were the key moments that stopped you from going down that track? Yeah, so I accepted Christ when I was 15. Um, I was actually like a really proud atheist, which is weird coming from like someone in late junior high, early high school. But I just thought I was like a genius in philosophy because it was like what I studied and stuff. Um, and if someone was like, Have, do you believe in God? I would be like, how can there be a God if there's evil in the world? And I'd be like, I stumped him and thought I was, like, really smart. (laughs) It's like, no one ever thought of that. (laughs) Um, So I just was very, like, kind of self-absorbed in that realm. But, you know, I had one girl. I basically had no female friends at this time because I had kind of alienated myself in that way, much like the woman at the well. Cool little connection there. Um, But I... Uh, had one girl reach out to me continuously throughout high school. I was really mean to her. I don't know. I mean, it was God is why she wanted to be friends with me. Um, And she kind of helped lead me to Christ and just a lot of love and bringing me, constantly bringing me to a youth group. Um, And so that's how I came to know him. Um, But after that, you know, I still hadn't told anyone about my sin. Because quite frankly, like, I was so desensitized to it, I didn't see it as sin. I mean, I knew it was wrong, but I never, one, we didn't talk much about, especially, like, girls looking at that, and so I felt like it wasn't really a problem. That was a guy thing, not a girl thing, and so I tried to just avoid talking about it all in all. Um, But I ended up dating this guy in high school, and he actually was constantly combating that, and uh, I mean, he had a mentor discipling him in this, and I still wasn't talking about it, but I kind of was like, you know, on my own like power, I'm going to try and overcome this for the relationship, and that never works because human relationships can't replace sin. So, like, our relationships with people cannot overcome the sin that we struggle with because only Christ is meant to replace those things. And so that only worked temporarily, probably for a few months, and then I found myself there again. And um, once that relationship was over, I found that I had, you know, I wanted intimacy, is what I realized, through that relationship, actually. And I wasn't getting that through pornography, and I realized the intimacy I want is with Christ, who I did know. Um, but I definitely didn't see it much, like, as much of a relationship to pursue. And so it was really when I came to that realization of, like, I want intimacy with God, and this is a barrier that's keeping me from becoming transparent with him, um, is kind of when I started to realize, like, I really need to step up and figure out how to overcome this with him. So that was really when that um, repentance started to happen. Yeah. And there's another key conversation you said with... Um... Uh, with a woman um, that kind of helped along that way. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, the youth pastor, he was kind of the, he was the pastor that I had heard uh, who helped 
me see that like kind of who Christ was. He actually was, his story was crazy. He had been with prostitutes actually. And when he was like 17 years old and all these crazy things. And so his story really, um, for some reason resonated with me just in sexual sin and his wife, uh, continued to try and get to know me after I accepted the Lord. And I ended up finally one day just telling her like, Hey, this is something that I do. And I wasn't completely honest about it. I talked more about like, sometimes like, I I didn't make it sound like the addiction that it really was, and so I kind of watered it down. But she knew something was going on, Um, and through that she started saying, okay, well, you need to tell me when you slip up. You need to text me when you're tempted. Um, Are there things we can put on your phone and things like that? And that was, I didn't even continue a relationship with her, but that was the beginning of um, being honest with people and being transparent about that and really getting it out in the open. That's awesome. That's awesome. So um, if you're talking to some people that are struggling in this area, what are some things you would tell them as far as how to move towards freedom and redemption? Yeah, so um, really, like, for me, it was telling someone, like, saying it out loud is the hardest but the best thing you can do for yourself. Mm -hmm. So you may sit here and think, like, well, I I know it's wrong, so we'll try it. Like, that's not going to work out for you because sin is done in darkness. And, like, I mean, we talk about how God comes into the shadow, and that's, that's where we are. But he's pursuing us there, and that's, um, I think, part of that shadow is the fact that we aren't telling anyone. And community is so unbelievably important to pursuing purity and pursuing righteousness. Um, and so the moment I open my mouth is the same moment that I think Satan began to lose in that battle with me. Because... No longer was it just him and I knowing about it because I wasn't even like trying to tell God about it. You know, in my prayer time and stuff, I just acted like it wasn't a thing. He knew. Um, But yeah, I I just kind of came to this conclusion of like, I got to tell someone. And when I did, there there was relief there, but it can't stop there. Um, So the other steps that I encourage everyone to take, and this is like so basic, but covenant eyes, like that's an incredible thing. And they now have like this VPN thing where it's even your other apps because like you'll find like other ways. I mean, at the end of the day, the moment you've decided I want to go and look at this, you're going to find a way. But at those times where you're just struggling a little bit with more temptation or even at night when you're on your phone too much, um, that's a great way you have someone connected and they can they know what you're looking at and that's just more motivation and um, accountability partners to have people who will just insert themselves in your lives and say, so have you looked at porn recently? And it's like, <laughs> you can't get around that except lie to them. And at that point, you know, now you're realizing you're damaging your relationships with people. And so that's just another way of um, being able to start that healing process. But the really, I know one of the main things I mentioned to you just in imagery was like, while we, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when I think about that and think about, you know, the moment when you're looking at a screen or you're about to do something, you're about to be promiscuous with someone, you're about to pursue, it's like the 1950s. I just said promiscuous. It's perfect. You're in a sexual situation with someone. Um, you know, are you, I, I try and see, I remember at times when I was really struggling with temptation in the later years, more when I was around 17, 18, um, I would try and imagine like the cross in between me and that screen because Every single time you're viewing that, I mean, Christ is dying for you and for that sin. And in that, I mean, you can just see this overwhelming power that God has. And it's, I mean, it's not bulletproof because we still disregard Christ like every day when we sin. 
Um, but it is an image that we can have that is very real. Um, it kind of creates, again, more intimacy and honesty between us and Christ. And that's another thing that I encourage people to do is to really see Christ on the cross um, as we're struggling with temptation. That's awesome. Mallory, thank you so much for sharing with us and being vulnerable on, on these issues. So let's give her a hand. Thank you so much. Well, I just want to close uh, this series with one picture of, of what is all of this for? Where is this all headed? And it's from Revelation chapter 6, and it says this. Re- Revelation chapter 7, it says, After this I looked, and there were before me a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe and every nation and every people and every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes. And holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down their faces and they were worshiping before the throne. And then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? Where do they come from? And I answered, Sir, I don't, I don't know. And he said to me, They are the ones that have come through the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. How is it that we can wear white? It's not because we live a new life. It's not because we turn over a new leaf. It's because we accept a new Savior. The one that can meet your deepest desires. The one that is the path to freedom, and his name is Jesus Christ. You're thirsty. I'm thirsty. And there's a solution to the deep thirst that you have, and his name is Jesus Christ. No screen, no relationship can meet your needs like the person of Jesus Christ. Redemption begins with coming to him. And when you do that, he begins changing you from the inside out. Augustine, famous, famous theologian, struggled deeply in sexual sin. And at one point, after he came to faith, he's walking down the street and he sees one of his former mistresses coming around the corner. And as soon as he sees her, he starts turning and walking away. And then she speaks out in a voice, Augustine, it is I. And he looks back and he says, but it is no longer I. And keeps walking. My prayer is that that deep change can be woven in you. That you can be made new in Christ and you can. We come to him. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you so much that although we have broken the world because of sin, that you redeem us, that you stepped into history not to condemn us, but to save us. Lord, we don't know how to fix the deep desires of our lives. We we run to all sorts of bad sources. But Lord, I pray that we might see how we might be fully satisfied in you. And Lord, I know there's many of us here that are that are in the midst of this battle, the midst of this war, and many of us feel like we're losing. I pray that today would be the day we say, Lord, I'm done fighting it on my own. I want to come to you. I'm coming to you, Messiah, to forgive me of my sins and empower me to live a new life. If that's you this morning, I pray that you would talk to your table hosts or one of the leaders around. And for the rest of us, Lord, who have come to faith, but we're still struggling deeply, I pray that we might be open and honest, as Mallory told us, to someone, a trusted friend, that can give us true accountability and help us to walk in freedom. And that we might wear white 
not because we're living a pure life, but because we are forgiven in you. We love you. Sooner me pray. Amen.